Hey, everybody. This is Bobby Harbert from Sister to Sister International Network of Professional African American Women, Inc., better known as Sister to Sister, Inc., and you're listening to the Sisters Excel podcast, episode Her Story, number one, the show that will focus on our guests' lived experiences, their lives from where they came from, and the impact that they've had in their communities and beyond. We are new to the podcasting scene. Welcome to our first episode. This podcast is for everyone, and especially black women and girls, from all walks of life, where we focus on standing together, building communities of sisterhood, and realizing endless potential. Our mission is to advance equity in all aspects of black women and girls' lives through community, vital education, scholarship, social connectivity, emotional support, networking, and forums to showcase their creativity in the global environment. Our purpose is to extend authentic sisterhood through the world, through nurturing communities, wherein black females are respected, recognized, encouraged, supported, and loved, enabling them to thrive. Today, we're interviewing Velveta Golightly Howe as the founder, president, and CEO of Sister to Sister, Inc., so that you can hear directly from the woman whose vision and aspiration for our organization set our sister circle on the path to helping black females to live their best lives. Velveta Golightly Howe, an accomplished attorney and leader, is licensed to practice law in Colorado and before the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, the New York Appellate Division, and the U.S. Supreme Court. Two loving, supportive parents surrounded she and four siblings with a village of supporters in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, instilling in them faith, respect for themselves and others, community service, a strong work ethic, self-assurance, and resilience. Mr. and Mrs. Golightly made clear that all were college-bound despite their own inability to graduate high school based on their family's need for additional income. All college graduates decided public service would allow them to give back to the community. Although the Golightly children were raised in the family-owned home dating back two generations and located within two blocks of Alabama's flagship university, Miss Golightly Howe and her older brother were among the first black students to integrate Alabama's formerly all-white public schools. A proud graduate of the Tuskegee Institute, Ms. Golightly Howe chose Colorado University School of Law. She served as a criminal and civil litigator and a member of the exclusive U.S. Senior Executive Service. As a passionate mentor and racial social justice advocate, activist, and agitator, Ms. Golightly Howe is committed to bettering society. She and her husband are proud parents of two sons. Vel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bobby. It's a pleasure to be here, and I feel very honored to be the first guest on this wonderful podcast. Well, with Sister Sister, we focus on working as a team in order to influence the outcomes of the lives of women. Tell me, thinking back to your childhood, or maybe even in your high school years, what were some of the influences and experiences that led you to select your profession? 
And do you recall when that deciding moment came to you? Yes, indeed, Bobby. So some of the most impressionable times of my life would be the fact that I grew up in an all-black community that was very loving and supportive. And we were surrounded by all-white neighborhoods, but it wasn't until I was seven years old that I actually saw a Caucasian in person. And having grown up just a couple blocks from the University of Alabama and seeing what happened with Vivian Malone Jones and James Hood as they attempted to become the very first black students at that university made me question why the mobs around them would be so hateful and why the federal guards actually had to be there in order to escort them into the admissions building. And so as a small child, I was only six years old at the time, I asked my father, why do they hate us so much? And he just said, there's no rational answer. However, change is coming, and you can be a part of the change. And so that stuck with me. And I, at that point in time, decided that I was going to become a lawyer and that I really wanted to work at the federal level because I understood that that is where a lot of change could actually be made. Now, I would say that Vivian Malone Jones looked almost identical to my older sister. She was the oldest in the family, and she really was a trailblazer who set the stride for the rest of us four children. And just keeping that in my mind, even today, I see that very vividly. When I was seven, though, I was even more impacted when my father and I were going to meet a client of his on the other side of town. And this side of town was exclusively black, and there were no white surrounding areas for it. And just as my father went over the viaduct and was headed toward his client's home, we heard a siren and looked behind us, and there was a police car. My dad started to pull over right away um, because he had just stopped at a stop sign. And so he turned to the right so that he could pull over, and the police car came up behind our car and demanded that my father get out. And my father had told me to stay in the car and not to get out. And so once he got out, the police officer started berating him. My father was only five feet, seven inches tall. He had never been in any kind of uh, trouble. He had never done anything but serve the community and work extremely hard because he worked two jobs from the time he was 16 years old 
virtually um, just five years before he passed away. And so the police officer, this young, tall, blonde, white officer, just started berating him and calling him boy, boy, boy. And when the officer said boy for the fourth time, I got out of the car because I could not understand why this man would be yelling at my father and accusing him of not stopping at the stop sign when he had. And so I walked over and I just, you know, said at that point to him, you will not talk to my father that way. He is not a boy. He's a man. And my father tried to get me to be quiet and I wouldn't. And the officer kept saying to my father, uh, you need to make that gal shut up. And my father was trying, but I said, I won't shut up because you are disrespecting my father. And I just won't let that happen. And so the officer then threatened to take me to juvenile hall. Now, as a seven-year-old, I had no idea what juvenile hall was. But I said to him, well, if you want to take me to juvenile hall, then you take me because you don't really have any legal right to do that, and I won't be there long. And so then the officer was so shocked, he turned to my father and he said, well, you can go, but you need to teach that gal how to respect law enforcement officers. Well, keep in mind, I'd never seen a law enforcement officer. We didn't have a TV. There was no way that I could have known. And even were I to have known, I would still have done what I did. But when we got back in the car and started home, my father explained to me that much, much badness happened to black people who looked like us for much lesser reasons. And he just said to me, please, please don't do that again. Well, when we got home, my mother was just aghast because it was a Saturday. And she said, no, 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 you can't do that. And I said to her, well, Mama, you and Daddy teach us that all people are equal and nobody's better than anyone else. And I cannot just accept, you know, you being uh, mistreated, daddy being mistreated, I just can't accept that. And so they just let me go on my way. But it was at that point, my father, I'm sorry, my mother actually taught me to count to 10 before I said a word because she said, that will give you some time to think about what you're going to say. So since that day, I have usually counted to 10 in my mind before saying something. Well, Val, now I understand really why you chose your field of profession based on what you've just indicated. Yes. So tell me, so when and what led you to found Sister to Sister? Well, the impetus for that was the fact that I chose the University of Colorado to study law. And coming out to Colorado, where I had only spent three days visiting my sister two years before and not knowing anybody, 
I felt as though I needed to have support. And God was so good that there were five other black students who were among my classmates. And with a few of them, I made fast friends. Well, at the end of the first semester at the University of Colorado, which was then a 100-year-old institution and had admitted very few black students and graduated even fewer, these students were placed on academic probation. And I could not understand that, especially concerning the one that I was closest to, who was a National Merit Scholar and also a summa cum laude graduate of one of the most prestigious private colleges in the United States. And by the end of that first year, my friends were gone, with the exception of one. And she and I didn't really have much of a relationship because I'm not sure why, but um, we never hit it off really well. And so that put me in a position where the next year there were only three blacks in the third-year class and none in the first-year class. And then, of course, the third-year students graduated, and that left me and my other classmates as the only black people in the school. And I would say that my classmate had a very wealthy upbringing with two highly educated parents. She had done a lot in terms of traveling, and her experiences were just different from mine. I think that the reason that my black classmate who remained with me throughout graduation and I weren't close is because she looked white. And I knew that when people looked at her, they would look at her differently than me. Since that time, however, I've come to understand that regardless of how she looked, she was going through some similar issues just because students and professors would say things that were derogatory towards blacks, not knowing that she was black and how that has influenced her to this day, to the point where she has vowed never to return to the university. So that actually influenced me to make a promise that if I was able to get through law school, I would do all that I could not to make or to help others who were coming in not feel as though they belong, to make sure they knew they belonged and they had what it took to not only get through law school, but to thrive. And so I decided in January of 1994 that bringing together a collective of black women who would support each other, uplift each other, was extremely important. 
And so three friends of mine and I passed out a flyer to every black woman we saw, no matter where we were at the time. And that flyer invited them to come to the gathering that was held on January 17th, 1994. And so that's how Sister to Sister began. Tell us about the attributes of some of those who have helped you continually to advance sisterhood and positive change. First of all, I want to acknowledge you. You have been an extremely helpful influence in helping to advance the sister circle. Your character is one where you are authentic, you are laid back and welcoming, you are caring, you are loving, you look at people as human beings and not at people regarding what roles they have, what titles they carry, how much money they make. And so that encapsulates the other sisters who have been very influential and instrumental in our ability to continually advance sisterhood and positive change. I have found that the women who want to have this kind of sisterhood really are those who give all that they can, who you can trust if you were to tell them something private, those who would help you grow and help you learn more about yourself so that you could become a better you. So that really sums up, I think, the attributes of those women who've helped continually advance sisterhood and positive change. Okay, great, Val. So why sister to sister? Well, sister to sister really is founded on the principle of everybody being the same and everybody needing help at some point in their lives. And there are many, many issues that surround us that have increased so much exponentially, I would say, over the past eight years perhaps going back even to about 2009. And there was never a group that I found where you could just walk in and be who you are. A lot of times, black women feel as though they have to mask And masking is simply putting on a different face than who you truly are. So when you are working, when you are out in the public domain, you might act differently than you would when you're with your family. And masking is so traumatizing, emotionally traumatizing, that it's something we in Sister to Sister want to and have helped black women understand 
they don't have to do, they don't need to do, and they will be just fine and actually better if they don't, if they just present as their authentic selves and go about doing what they feel their purpose in life is without having this kind of stress on them. So that's why Sister to Sister exists. And it exists to actually look at some of the problems that black communities, black women, black girls encounter and do what it can to help resolve those issues. So Sister to Sister came to be. Vel, for nearly 30 years, you've used your vision and piece by piece molded it into the vessel for positive change in people's lives. Share what motivates you. I would say that I am motivated by the purpose of my life. At six years old, I realized that I was to become a lawyer and that I was to help people. So my parents placed in us this resilience and this attitude that we were no better, but we were no lesser than anyone else. And they placed in us this confidence that we could help bring about change and that the struggle would not be easy. And they showed by example through their working so hard and surrounding us with the same type of supporters and at the same time just serving, serving others. So that's what motivates me. And I have to tell you that I am a visionary. I've always been a visionary. I have been able to envision not what is, but what can be. And I think back always and have this photo on my studies wall that Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King used in explaining what a leader is and what vision is. And Dr. King said, genuine leaders have the ability to articulate, initiate, and follow through on their vision. And I have to tell you, Dr. King has been one of my role models from the time I was really small because he was not afraid to step out there. He was not afraid to speak truth to power. And from him and my parents and others, I just have always followed two mantras. One is, to whom much is given, much is required. That comes from Luke twelve eighteen. The other is, out of one many. And I know that from my experience and my ability to bring about change, that it only takes one person. Bell, so Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was very influential in your life. 
Are there any others that have influenced you? Yes, and thank you, Bobby, so much for asking that question because I always appreciate the opportunity to acknowledge others. One would be my mother. My mother was only able to complete sixth grade because she had to go out and help work the farm that her parents had. And my mother was a woman of grace. She was a woman who presented herself in a way that people respected her. She did not have to speak. Her presentation made people understand that she was one to be respected. She always gave of herself. I was later in life, not as a child or a teenager, but when I became an adult, I realized all the sacrifices that she and my dad had made for us and how, although they weren't able to tell us because that was not how their generation worked, that they loved us, they actually loved us by doing And that's something that I carry with me to this day. The fact that they showed love through doing. And before my parents passed, I was able to let them feel comfortable in saying, I love you, simply by demonstrating it myself time and time again. So my mother... The second person who greatly influenced my life was my father's mother, my grandmother, Lily. My grandmother, Lily, was a very powerful and influential woman in terms of how she led different things within the church and how she raised my father and his seven siblings. And when I say powerful and influential, I do not mean to have listeners think about it in the sense of politicians or others who use power and influence for wrong. My grandmother, Lily, taught me how to use whatever, I would say, influence that I had in a way for good. (laughs) And the third person I would mention was my lifelong, or almost lifelong, mentor, Brooke Wanneke. Brooke hired me when I was 22 years old. She was at that time the chief deputy of the Denver District Attorney's Office, and she was the first woman hired in that position. She was the first woman nominated to the Colorado Supreme Court. She was the first woman to practice law in the state of Wyoming because she was a woman, though. She was not hired by any of the large law firms just because she was female. 
Brooke, who was of German descent, was only four feet nine inches tall, but she was a dynamite. She taught law school. She did so many different things. But Brooke made those of us who she groomed into the best lawyers you could ever find. And when I say best lawyers, I mean lawyers who really understand that they're working for the people or working for their clients and who have the highest ethical standing. She always called us her children. And from the time I was 22, when she hired me as a paid intern for the Denver DA's office and, you know, groomed me until she passed away in September of 2014, just a few months after my mother passed away. Brooke was always there. Brooke was loving. She had a photographic memory. She actually had graduated top of her class in law school. She had graduated summa cum laude from Stanford University as an undergraduate. But you never saw that. And the way that she taught us was a way that was so kind. She would never criticize, but she would help you to see where you could improve in your work products and how you approached a problem. So she, to this day, remains so dear to me as to my mother and my grandmother, Lily. Thank you, Val, for that. So I'd like to know, Can you tell us some of the things that make you smile? Absolutely. Some of the things that make me smile. First of all, I would say my granddaughter, Kaya, who is only 21 months old, but she came out of her mother's womb as what my younger son calls a diva. A diva in the sweetest sense that you can imagine. She has been a baby who has just moved all the time. She moves all the time. She rarely sleeps. When she's really tired, she finally goes to sleep. But even when she sleeps, she smiles in her sleep. Other things that make me happy are to see people of all different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, who are friends, who join together to enjoy good times and to work in fulfilling ways towards a common goal. My friends make me very happy. I feel blessed to have friends, true friends, friends that I can trust and count on and who love me and who I love very much. And I smile because when I close my eyes and I think about my friends, I know that they are a rainbow 
They are of all shades and colors. They are of different genders, of different sexual orientations. They are people who are of different physical ability, that is to say, some have disabilities. They just are people. And we are people together. We're just human beings. And we realize that we are not these people who want to be admired or who have these prejudices against others. We are just living our lives truly to the fullest extent possible and loving along the way. Oh, I should mention... My other family members make me smile as well. That is, sometimes, not all the time. Because you can understand, families are families. But I am so blessed to have my family. Val, in conclusion, what would you like our listeners to take away? Bobby, what I'd like the listeners to take away is that We all have a purpose in life. We're all designed with a certain purpose in life. And that little black girls who grow up in the deep south have all that it takes to make life better for others. I want listeners to understand that They all have a gift. All of them are here for a reason. And that the worst thing they can do is not live their purpose and use the gifts they have for the betterment of the world in which we live. Thank you. Thank you for that, Val. Thank you, Val, for coming onto the show today, and thank you, listeners, for sitting down with us. Sisters Excel Her Story podcast is for black women from all walks of life where we focus on standing together, building communities of sisterhood, and we welcome all listeners. Our mission is to advance equity in all aspects of black women and girls' lives through community, vital education, scholarship, social connectivity, emotional support, networking, and forums to showcase their creativity in a global environment. Our next guest will be the distinguished clinical psychologist and published author, Dr. Sandra Thebald. Thank you for joining us today, and remember to live your life to inspire and be inspired.